there was a, a businessman and he, he went on holidays and whilst he was out conducting his business, um, the, the guy that was instructed to look after his home and look after his property while he was at home sends him this message and says, your cat died. And he was really close to his cat and so he was quite upset and left his business trip and went home for a little while. And he was just furious with the butler, hey, just really furious with the, with the guy and go, how could you do this? Like, really, where is your... Sa-? And he just started berating him and used some words that I wouldn't really preach in church and the paint started coming off the walls. And why wouldn't you just be a lot, like, oh, just a lot softer with this? Like, send me a message or something that says, oh, the cat's on the roof and can't get down. And then maybe a couple of hours later, just say, oh, the cat's fallen and, and, and hurt itself. And then maybe a little while later, then said, oh, I'm really sorry about this. But, but the cat didn't make it and passed away. If that, I could have I handled the blow a bit better if you were just a bit more sensitive to the whole issue with this. And, and um, so he leaves and, and goes back on his trip and starts conducting meetings. And the next day he gets a message on his phone. Your mother's on the roof and can't get down. Last week I was uh, into these verses in Philippians 1 and still sort of stuck there and I think we'll be there for the next couple of weeks. But uh, we began with talking about Paul's affection for the church of Philippi, that they were his, his beloved children, the first church that he'd established in Asia. And, and as soon as he got there, met people and they started just having church in their house and opened themselves to it and he had a deep affection for them and even writes that in his letters. And we can see the whole model of, of Paul's discipleship is love and family, and that's what he bases it on. And he goes on from there and says, this is my prayer, and we talked about this last week, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight, that our love would continue in a direction, that love is the, the important thing, but needs to be tempered with knowledge and tempered with a morality as we apply that so it can have the full effect that God intended. And he goes on, there's a reason that I want your love to be tempered like this, so that you may be able to discern what's best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, so that you could be the best person you could possibly be and make the best choices you could possibly make. I sort of got there and and realized that to really talk about why he's asking that we would be pure and blameless, ready for that day of Christ. We actually need to talk about what that day looks like a little bit more. I'm I'm keen to get to the the next bit of this, but the whole, whole aspect of what that day of Christ or, or some of the some parts of the Bible talk about that dreadful day of the Lord or or the return or the second advent, the second coming of Christ. You know, our world seems to be a bit um, caught up with the whole idea of how the world's gonna gonna end in that. And I just I'll just play a clip for a couple of minutes just to sort of see Hollywood just loves this idea. They make a, a fair bit of money off it and, and get there. We've had all these movies the last couple of years. This is the end. Nostradamus, Book of Eli, End of the World, um, War Games, After Earth, Maze Runner, End of Tomorrow, Hunger Games, the 50 zombie movies that have come out in the last six months. And um, even in 1916, they brought out a movie, End of the World, and it just seems to have fascinated Hollywood. Anyway, here's a, a clip of ideas on how that might all come about. Could be audio for that.
this is not a service announcer, what's Mojo? But uh, and well, it's just consumed with the whole thing. I can't click that. Can you just click back to the Philippian slide? We'll read it. Um, okay, it's behaving. There we go. Nostradamus prophecies. He had the whole Mayan calendar thing going on a few years ago, and and the world just seems consumed with this whole notion of when's it going to end and what's it going on. That this whole thing, and, and the whole thing is why. Well, we have mortality. We all begin to face it. For some of us, more real than others. And we, we all face it in our lives at some point. And we start to question, well, what's next? We look at our world and we reckon we see the world in decay. Well, I'm venturing at some on there that I mean, we hear all about climate change and, and rising sea levels and, and rising temperatures and the whole thing of um, more efficient energy and, and the fact that we're getting greater cyclones and that this year we didn't have as many cyclones as we were meant to have and then the greater one came and um, all the more earthquakes in the earth and more, more tidal waves, more um, volcanoes erupting the, than ever before in our recorded history. Within those things, there's, we, we see a, morale, uh, a moral decay in our society. We see what's going on with just a, a perversion of... of values and where we've stood and, and, and an eroding of what we've come to believe in. And, and people even with a yearning just for something more, something greater. There's got to be something more than just getting up and going to work and coming home and paying my bills and getting up and going to work and coming home and paying my bills and stressing how I'm going to pay my bills and getting up and going to work. And There's got to be something more to that. And so we, we go on this cycle and then we've got a whole bunch of a whole bunch of things. And I just want to point to the word as we begin to look at this. And look at the end and what it looks like. And a few things in the Bible that, that it talks about. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loved. But then fire came down from heaven and devoured them. You can see where the movies start getting their pictures. But the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for that day of judgment, the destruction of the ungodly. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth will and everything done in it will be laid bare. And as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will be melted in heat. In Malachi, last year, the Old Testament, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace and all the arrogant and the evildoer and the stubble and the day is coming and will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left. And Jesus even said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Don't worry about that. It's just got to happen. But the end is still to come. And nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there'll be earthquakes in various places and famines. And these are the beginning of birth pains. So we, we begin to question. We look at these things and we begin to question, well, when's all this coming? What's going to go on with it? Is it going to happen? Or the big question, is it going to happen while I'm still alive? Is it going to happen while I'm still here? Am I going to face all this or, or be in this? But I, I wonder what the big question is for God. I wonder what the big question about this whole time is for when in his view. We, we sit there and question the, the what, the when, the how. You know, science is, a lot of scientists talk about time in a lot of different ways. Some see it has a beginning and um, continues forever. A lot of scientists say there was no beginning and there's no end. There's just time that is. Some say time is cyclic. If you go back to the Greeks, they look at time being in cycles of 10,800 years. 
So I'll get to 10,800 years, and then it'll just all repeat itself again, and then repeat itself again, and then repeat itself again. Some talk about the Big Bang and the expansion, and there's going to get to a time when that stops, and it's all going to come back and, and almost crunch in on itself and, and go backwards. And the whole idea of an end and something final is, is something that brings fear and, and brings, it, it scares us. It's how do we overcome it? People looking for another earth, people talking at the moment. That's what we're doing as the human race at the moment. How are we going to actually go and live on Mars? How are we going to get this reality show together that can send 50 people off to Mars and we can watch it as the rest of mankind as something starts to happen there and there's this big move in astronomy at the moment to find another earth or another M-class planet, another thing that's going to sustain life like, like this one is. And the whole thing of people just trying to overcome death with it. Sarah Winchester... Um, her husband had, had made a fortune, and then he, he passed away, and, and after that, she was really struggling with meaning in her world and, and, and a whole thing, and so she went in California, and she went and sought a, a medium to try and talk to her dead husband, and, and the spiritualist told her that if you don't stop building your house, you'll never die. She went, oh, that's a pretty good deal. And so she went and found this 17-bedroom mansion that was unfinished. And she started building. And she spent $5 million building this house at a time when labor was 50 cents a day. By the time when she passed away at 85, it had 150 rooms, 13 bathrooms, 2,000 doors, 47 fireplaces, and 10,000 windows. And she'd left enough material for the building to continue another 80 years on after that. All because she was afraid of death and afraid of what was to come and afraid of something happening at the end and a finality to it. And so she tried to run away from it as fast as she could. But these are the things, and are these really what's important to God? This morning, I won't really touch on, on the death aspect, maybe next week a little bit, but what's really important to God? Is he as concerned about the when or the what or the how as we are? Is that really what's on his, his mind? In 1 Thessalonians, Paul speaks to the Thessalonians about this and, and says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. So I want you to know about this stuff, about those who sleep in death, so that you will not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again so that we believe, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. The hope of a resurrection. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So they're worried about what's going to happen to their mums and dads and brothers and sisters who have died and going, what, what's going to no, we're all going to be caught up together. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You see, when God looks at this, Paul talks to them and says, oh, I don't want you to be misinformed. And actually... Out of all the authors, Paul seems to talk to each of the churches about the return of Christ. He's got this aspect in there, and for a lot of them, he's talking about how to 
how to operate until that day. He, he wants to inspire a lifestyle and a life trend that's going on. But I want to talk today just more about from God's avenue. Next week, we'll talk from what happens for us. Because whilst we think of time in, in years and days, and we think from our perspective, and we look at it of a date and go, by the time it's today, well, actually, today's passing, and when is now? Because how does time actuate? There's a future, there's a present and a past. By the time I get to the present, well, that's actually now the past. And what's moving? Is time moving or am I moving through time? Sorry if I'm getting a little bit philosophical on that. But the whole aspect of this, we think and we get bogged down in it. But when God looks at things, I don't think he's as, in, as enthralled about the what, the when, but he's more concerned with the who. So when God, talk, God talks about time, he doesn't actually give dates or years or times. We want to know how long the world's been around. We want to know how long the world's got left. God just said in the beginning, God created. He didn't say day zero. He didn't say this is how, how many years it's been around or how long it lasted. In the beginning, God created. And then from there, God's measured time in, in really his interaction with humanity. He measured time. He was concerned about creation. And then we had a fall. And then, then we had a flood. Then we had Abraham. And, and then we had Jesus come. And then, and then Jesus died and was buried and rose again. And then he ascended into heaven. And we've got this next point of time which he wants to measure and doesn't actually give years to it, but actually says, the point of time I want to measure is I'm coming again. He's concerned about the who. He's concerned about us in it. And he's not concerned about the years. He's concerned about how he's going to interact with it. And we worry about how many years time is that going to be? Come on, pastor, tell me. I need to know whether to save money now, how long I'm, I'm moving into retirement. I need to know whether to spend all my money and get the large caravan or the small caravan. And, and, and should I actually go on three cruises this year or should I just save up because I've got a few more years left to go. I need my retirement plan and I need to know when Jesus is coming so I can sort this out. Hey, I've thought like this. I've asked God for this stuff. I, I, I want to base my financial management on that day, but except many preachers actually preach like that. I've heard a number of them preach like that, that um, messages on that America's the Antichrist or the Pope's the Antichrist or that um, this is going to be it. The Doomsday Globe was published on 1978 and said that Armageddon would begin in 1979. I remember going to a, um, a Youth Alive rally in, in 1999 in Logan, and we had a preacher there that was talking about the last great revival will start in the year 2000 at the Sydney Olympics and, and get ready because that's going to signal the end of the world and, and the end of, end of time. And, and I was kind of like, oh, this is exciting. Yeah, it's all coming. And then the Olympics came and went. And we're still all here. And I, I was talking to some mates, and back in Adelaide 20 or 30 years ago, they remember someone coming and saying, we've got to be quick because Armageddon's starting next year, so we've got to evangelize Australia right now. I, I don't understand the whole purpose of trying to say that the end is coming, because one of two things is going to be happen. You're either going to be right or wrong. If you're, if you're wrong, well, you're going to look stupid. If you're right, who's going to be around to congratulate you? So there's no point now. <laughs> a whole bunch of preachers have been saying that we're the last generation. But that's happened for 2,000 years so far. The disciples thought Jesus was returning soon. In actual fact, he said it to them, I'm coming back soon. 
the disciples thought he'd be back before the end of John. There was a whole crisis within the church and actually a third of the church left around 100 AD when John died because their faith was shaken because he wasn't meant to die because Jesus had said to Peter, what's it, with, what's it to you if he, does, he remains until I come back? Jesus said a few things about this whole thing. He said in Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow. In Matthew 25 and 24, he said, you don't know the day or the hour. And then in Acts 1, we have this little thing where he's just getting ready to go. And they gathered around him and said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore it? Is it going to happen? Are you going to become the military commander right now? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. Only the Father has set this, but you will receive power. He was so much concerned with our relationship, not knowing the time or anything with it. And so God's view we find in the revelation of John that says, look, he's coming in the clouds and every eye will see him and even those who pierced him and all the earth will mourn because of him and so shall it be. I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, says the Lord, who is, who was, and is to come. Now it's this point that Paul writes to the Philippians in God's view that the time's not important for the fact that it's God who's coming. We don't know the day or the hour, but it is God who's coming, the one who was, who is still, and who is yet to come. It's Christ who's coming. And that's the most important thing about the end of the world, that the same way he left in the clouds, he's coming in exactly the same way the angels came and told the disciples. He's coming back just as you saw him leave. And, and this is the thing that we can we can place our hope on. Revelation's a fun book. It's a real fun book, and a lot of people try and interpret it and understand it and talk about it and all these different things and, and try and predict the time and everything from it and say, oh, there's scorpions flying around with things out of their tower, so that's helicopters, and, and, and it might very well be, and I, I, I don't know. God hasn't given me revelation on that. But one thing I do know, it is a book of promise where we know that God wins. And it says in the beginning, there's, there's this promise, blessed is he who reads and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written for the time is near. At the end it says, it starts with a blessing, it ends with a curse. If you add or take away from this book, there's a curse on you. And all through the middle, God keeps saying one thing, I'm coming back and I'm coming soon. I'm coming back and I'm coming soon. If you want to ask, what's Revelation say? It says that. Behold, I'm coming soon. Of John, when Jesus talks to John in John, he says this, In my Father's house there's many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to get your bed ready. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come and receive you to myself, that where I am, you will also be. No time's coming. No events are coming. And I mean, we can, we can sit there and try and place the return of Christ. But even, even all the events around the end of time, we argue as the church on that. Is Jesus coming before the tribulation or at the end? Or even is he coming in the middle? Is it going to be seven years of turmoil for the church at the beginning or the end of after he's coming? Or is it right in the middle of that? And what about a thousand-year reign? When is that going to happen? Is that going to happen before or after? And who, how many is going to rise? Is there one resurrection or two resurrections 
that go on there, and I can argue all these things from Scripture. But I can tell you this, I will come. I will come, Jesus said. There is a promise that he's coming. Actually, God is so concerned about his coming back, there's five times as many prophecies about the return of Christ in the Bible than there are about his birth. God's more concerned with us knowing that Jesus is returning than he is with us knowing that he was coming the first time. We sang about this morning, death could not hold you. You're victorious. Do you know what's really cool about the resurrection? Is because of that we have a promise that he's coming back. We've got this whole thing where God is, is coming as the Israelites initially intended for him to come because the reality is, is who is coming? Who's coming back? When Jesus came last time, it was silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. Found young virgin, mother and child, holy infant, tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. Or is he swinging away in a manger? No crying he makes. Is that the Jesus that's coming back? A mild-tempered child. Or as we read in Revelation, I saw heaven open, and there before me was a white horse, and the rider was called Faithful and True, and he had justice. He judges, and he wages war. No baby that's not crying in a manger is waging war. The Jesus that we're about to see is different. His eyes were like blazing fire, and on his head there were many crowns. That's going to hurt your neck, isn't it? And he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself, and he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, holy and white. Other places talk about the fire that's coming. We read before about the fire that's coming back. So the Jesus that's coming back is the glorified Jesus with authority, power, and passion. He's returning as the mighty warrior king with the iron scepter in his hand. He's coming with fire on a white horse. And this time when he's coming, he's coming with the assembled armies of heaven. Angels are going to appear and they're going to gather from all over the universe to be there at this event. He's coming as king of kings, lord of lords, with wrath, anger, power, love, and majesty. This is not the same baby that came last time. And so God is concerned with this, with who he is when he comes back. And, and this is where Paul writes from. This is the Jesus that's coming back. It is the Lord himself. Some people try and say, that Jesus, oh, he's not in body anymore. He died. That, I mean, that's what they tried to do. They tried to hide the fact that he... He rose again, and he was in a physical body again. But no, this is a Jesus that we will recognize. Disciples recognized him. He will look somewhat different because also disciples didn't recognize him. That's a whole different thing about what happens in glory and a different sermon on that one and what happens between now and when we die and when we die and when he returns, what happens in those times. But he's coming, and we're going to be able to see him. It is actually Jesus. It is actually Jesus that's coming. He is coming from heaven. That's where he's coming from. And because of that, he has the right to rule. He is coming with the authority of the Father. He is coming with the right to actually set things in the order as God initially intended them. He's going to appear from the sky. To the ungodly, that's going to appear like clouds of judgment and, and fear. To the godly, it's going to appear in the sky, righteousness and salvation and healing and peace and joy. And That's going to be really cool, isn't it? Just one day, 
Jesus is going to rock up in the sky, in clouds. He's coming with power. He's coming with power. The armies of heaven are assembling. Many crowns on his head. There is nothing that he doesn't have authority over. He's coming with the archangel's trumpet. See, all through history, the angels have been quiet. Some people have seen them. We've got a few instances in the Bible. A few of us have encountered angels, and mainly it's in the mind's eye or a slight hearing or something like that. But at this point, we're not having Gabriel come and whisper in a girl's ear that you're favored and chosen. At this point, we're going to have Michael returning in the clouds with a trumpet call, summoning angels from all over the universe to this one location in army form, and there is going to be eyes open to the fact that they're actually there. He's in the glory. The Bible says that when he returns, we won't be able to see the sun because his glory will be that bright that he will outshine the sun. I was saying last week, it'll resonate around the world. Everyone will be aware. Everyone will hear. I don't know if it's going to like, you know how you see in movies, they take over all the TV stations and all the radio channels? That's what the, that's what the archangel's trumpet's going to be like. It's just going to take over everything, but it won't be it takes over. You just hear it everywhere at that point. It, it is a shout that he comes back with. He will shout over sin and declare the truth about us. He will shout in triumph. He will shout in victory over death in that day. The angel shout will be the royal herod, herald. You know how when royalty comes in, there are trumpets blazing and everyone's ready for the right. It's like a wedding march. The bride coming, the bride ready. We're going to hear that. And this time there is royalty coming that we, every knee will bow down to and every tongue will confess. That trumpet, why a trumpet? Because it will impact on all nations. It will be a trumpet call of war against the unrighteous. It will impact on Israel because God has always interacted with us on the special events. He came, he died, he died on, on Passover. Sacrifice. He, he sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the law and the renewing inside us. And most scholars agree that the return will be somewhere around trumpets, tabernacles, a time of healing and deliverance, a time of fulfillment for his church and for the people of Israel and an in-gathering. For the church, it means an in-gathering of the harvest that we've been longing for. This is our God who's returning. And this is God's view of what it looks like from heaven as he returns. He is coming and who he is. And because of that, full vote, because of this is how Jesus is coming and because of what's going to happen to you, I want you to live pure and blameless. Next week, I want to talk about what that looks like from our perspective and where that looks like from our view. Because, but we can't get that. And like Pastor Bruce always used to say, we have to start with who God is. Before we know how we can respond and what's going to happen, we've got to start with who God is. He has the right. If we look and study the word, he has the right to do whatever he wants. He's just like meeting some seven-foot-tall guy that's six-foot-wide in, in the dark alley at night going, yep, here's my wallet. 
here's my keys, here's my iPhone, my iPad, please don't hurt me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's the Jesus who's coming back. There is no army on earth that's going to be able to stand up to him. No person, no matter how much they try and avoid it, that time is, is going to be able to avoid it. Actually, there was one man who was so, so obsessed and consumed with the idea of avoiding the, the resurrection that he made sure that when he died, his body, he left instructions for his body to be cremated. And then when he was cremated, to grab those ashes, hop up in a plane and scatter them from a plane so that there could be no resurrection and reforming of his body at all. Slight lack of knowledge of what's going to happen on that day, I think. (laughs) There is no avoiding this day. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, he says to them, Jesus is coming back like this. Therefore, encourage each other. He doesn't sit there, fear and tremble. No, to us who have a faith and who have a belief. This is a day of encouragement. This is a day of excitement. Your God is coming back. He's coming back how he left in the clouds and he's coming back in glory and power. And you do not need to fear because you hold his image inside you and he's marked you with his spirit. There is only a time of excitement and joy for us who believe. And um, that has a huge impact on how we live from this day forward. And just stand with me this morning as we just pray. Father, we we see in your word that, Lord, you don't want us to be ignorant when it comes about what's going to happen. Lord, we also see in your word that you don't want us to be worried or or vexed with when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. You just want us to know that you're coming back. You're coming back in power and glory, Lord, and we are. And you said to us, that is an exciting thing. And so, Lord, yet in us often there's an element of apprehension or concern. Lord, some of us are sitting there going, oh, have I done enough? Have I made it enough? Am I going to be okay when that all happens? If that's a fear in your heart, let me say this. We we said it before. We sung it before. Blessed is the poor. Jesus is mine. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, the admission ticket's cheap. The admission ticket's easy. And um, we'll talk a bit more on that next week. But we do not need to fear. And Lord, we are thankful for that. That, Lord, as we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, you are Lord. We've paid the entry price. And we're going to be caught up with you on that great day. Great day of glory. And so, Lord, we just look forward to it. And ask, Lord, this morning that, Holy Spirit, you would encourage our hearts surrounding this. And that you'd inspire us because of your coming, that we would speed on that day as, as Peter encouraged. Lord, we would look forward to it with excitement and joy, and because of that, we would just live lives worthy of that calling. Father, we want to celebrate you this morning. And I ask, Holy Spirit, right now, you would come and comfort those who may look to that day or have apprehension or fear or, or hurt or anger around the thought of you, and Lord, because, Lord, the end is not the end. something great and mighty with you. And so Lord, we just want to spend a little bit of time now worshipping and just declaring your goodness and grace.